Morning, all. Happy uh, September the 12th. Glad to be with you all online as well. Starting a new series as that video introduced, and let me back up. Today, uh, today's kind of an introduction to our four habits, as it's called on this video. The great writer, many of you know him, perhaps, uh, Christian writer Dallas Willard, coined this term, the great disparity. And what he meant by the great disparities, he said, this is the way he describes what um, many people in America, that's where he lived in his whole life and did his work, um, experienced as Christians, in the, is, and it's the gap. The great disparity is the gap between what the Bible says about the Christian life, right, the, the, the hopes, the joys, the promises, and what people are actually living. You know, we don't, we, don't, we don't always admit it. Sometimes we do. Often we hold it inside, but we say, you know, when I look at what the Bible says about a joy, peace, um, uh, um, generosity, um, um, you know, um, a character, love, compassion, you name it, you know, what it says about the life that we see painted in the scriptures, promised, let's say, to followers of Jesus, what it says and what I'm living, there's a great disparity. The quote, a quote from the book he wrote, a little bit fuller, says this. Discipleship, as an essential issue, has disappeared from our churches. And with it also disappeared realistic plans and programs for the transformation of the inmost self into Christ-likeness. One can now be a Christian, he wrote this book, I think, 2006, without actually changing in heart and life. Right profession is all that is required. This has produced generations of Christians who, as a whole, do not differ in character from their non-professing neighbors. The great disparity. The great challenge of the church, it's really perhaps is any time, but I think it is also true in our time, is whether or not those who identify as Christians are actually choosing, and I, I want to use that word uh, uh, intentionally, choosing, to actually be disciples. Okay? You, can be a, you might say, can you be a Christian and not be a disciple? I think the short answer to that is yes. Is that what God wants for us? Very clearly, no. The, the church was not called to make converts, but disciples. We, as a staff, created in, in about a year ago a definition, just a working definition for us. So let me give it to you, right, in case I get well into this sermon or the next one, you go, what is discipleship? Give us a clear definition, at least in um, non-words, in, in, in words that we've summarized. It says this. We came up with this last year. The essential task of discipleship, as we look at a lot of verses, okay, is to embody the message of Jesus. Okay? That's the essential task of all the things that we do, the habits included, that we'll talk about over these weeks, is to embody the message of Jesus that the life of Jesus becomes more and more pulsing through my veins, living in my skin and in yours. This happens best when spiritual growth and personal ministry are encouraged and developed in relationships with others. Jesus did not call us in the Bible to make converts, but to make disciples. Okay, they're not the same thing. And if you and I, um, you know, uh, it, it's something I should say that it's, if we think about it, we can't do as individuals or as a church if we ourselves are not disciples, right? Can you become a Christian and not become a disciple? I think so. But if a call of the church of Jesus Christ, which it is very clearly in the end of the New uh, Gospels, is that we are to go and make disciples, then, and we're going to talk about what a disciple is, but it would sort of stand to reason that if I am not a disciple myself, then I can't make disciples, okay? We have to be disciples to make disciples. If you and I don't pursue discipleship, 
through daily commitments to know and live like Jesus, you can remain, I can remain locked in defeat relative to my own life, even as a sincere Christian. This is the danger of the great disparity. Now, the purpose of this series, we're just launching today, uh, is to talk about the core spiritual habits, these are right out of the Bible, we'll see, that help us to bring about an inward transformation of thought, an inward transformation of feeling, an inward transformation of character that ultimately becomes the basis for the life the New Testament promises or that you see in the new pages of the Testament. So that's where we're headed. But to begin this morning, I'm not going to get into the habits. I want to take a little closer look at discipleship, right? The end goal of what this is or the process of which the habits become a part of. So that's what I want to take a look at. We're going to look at a passage from Mark chapter 3. Titled, the title of this message is A Call to Follow. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 through 19, when Jesus picks, let's say, his first, not disciples, but you might say um, apostles, or, or calls them into a life of discipleship. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 19, and a message titled, The Call to Follow. Follow along as I read. Jesus went up to a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The call to follow. Three things, quickly. Uh, as we think about discipleship, what this passage says to me, says to you, says to us about what discipleship is, okay? The first one is you are called, I am called to be with Jesus. It's pretty straightforward. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, okay? That they might be with him. It's interesting, my, um, you know, in my copy of my NIV, maybe your Bible is the same, sometimes there's titles, they're not part of the scriptures, but titles, and mine says, Jesus appoints the twelve. That's the paragraph we just read. The paragraph that precedes it, which I didn't read, the title there is, the crowds follow Jesus, okay? The crowds follow Jesus, and if you were to read that paragraph, I think they're juxtaposed for a, for a very specific purpose, which I'm getting at. It's, you would say that this moment where he chooses the 12 happens at the height of his popularity, and in the paragraph before, it says the crowds follow Jesus. Not only is there people from all over the place, but it mentions in chapter 3, verse 8, the actual, I think it's six or seven geographies, starting with Galilee, where they were at the Sea of Galilee, mentions the word Galilee. Then it says their people came. And it mentions, think about it, they did this on purpose. They could have just said people came from here and far, right here and far. But it says people came from Galilee, from um, Jerusalem, from Judea, from Idumea, which is south, almost near Egypt. It came from the other side of the Jordan, and it came from Tyre and Zidon, which was near the Mediterranean Sea. If you were to take that map, draw some dots, what you'd see is this. It covers the entire ancient history or the, 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 the people of God back in the Old Testament all of Israel, and not only all of Israel, right? So he was popular. His name was getting out. His, the message about Jesus' power was getting out. Even people from Tyre and Zidon, which means nothing or little to you and me, but it's people that were non-Jewish people. 
Even the Gentiles, the people that Jewish people would have nothing to do with, even they got the word and they were there too. And you would think if you were at this moment, at the height of his popularity, there's people from all over the entire area and the region, certainly all the Jewish people, every geography is represented anyway, and the Gentiles, this would be the time if you're a political revolutionary, which is what Jesus was partly, or they thought he was, that you declare your candidacy. Or if you're someone who's starting a religious movement like a church, you'd say, I'm planting my church right here, right now. Why wait? I have everyone's attention in this entire geography, including the Gentiles, which represent the uttermost parts of the world. But Jesus doesn't do that, okay? Instead, we're now picking up where we started, he goes up onto a mountainside, which thousands of people aren't going to make that journey. He says, I just want 12 of you. You, 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 and you, their names are here, follow me. Instead of staying with the crowd, he leaves it and chooses 12. Listen, the crowd came, think about you and me, your life, my life, even today, right? Listening to me. We're in a day where, you know, people are, for various reasons, not just the coronavirus, you know, deciding on coming or going to church. The crowd came to be healed. They came to be fed. They came to be inspired. None of those things are bad. Healed, fed, inspired, in a sense, to get a need met. But the church Jesus Christ was building and is still building is built on people who choose to surrender their lives for the goal of transformation. That's a different thing. Inspired, fed, healed. Meet some needs. That's not a bad thing. That's where it starts. But Jesus Christ does not build the church on just people who have their needs met, like it's a spiritual Wegmans or something. Okay? That's not what the church is built on. The church is built on people who say, thank you for those needs met, certainly thank you for the forgiveness of sin, but now I'm signing up to surrender my life over the course of time for the purpose of, of transformation that being with him, I might become more like him and become a little Christ and an agent of transformation in the world. Those are two very different things. He says... First and foremost, he appointed the 12, and then Matthew 28 says the rest of the gang of disciples, including you and me, that they might be with him, okay? That they might be with him. Jesus did not choose these 12 people, and you and me too. We'll get to that in a minute. Because he needed friends. He was lonely, okay? That is not why Jesus chose these people. He did it so that they might, while living with him and being with him, that they might watch his life, they might draft from his life, and that through watching his life and being with him, it might change the way that they live over time. That's why he called them to be with him for that purpose. Think about this. I mean, I, I, I kind of thought about this quickly when I was doing this. The whole Gospels. How did this happen? What's the difference between the multitudes and, in this case, the 12 that went up on the mountain? Well, when you're with someone, think about those of you who are married or whatever. There are things that you see. This is a good ana analogy. There are things about your wife, husbands, or things about your um, husband's wives 
that the vast majority in this people in this room do not know. I'm not just saying like embarrassing, stupid things, but all kinds of things. The kind of foods they like, the things that make them angry, the things that make them happy. I mean, that's the nature of living with somebody. That's what we're talking about here. Think about the many different times I just thought about this. I'll give you a, quick, a couple quick examples. One time the disciples say to Jesus, after living with him, sleeping, eating, walking, listening, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray like John's, John taught his disciples. After watching him, maybe kids do this with your parents, they say, teach us to do this. See, the crowds were never going to do that. That's what disciples do. One time they said to Jesus, Jesus sent them out on a, on a kind of a preaching tour of their own. It's pretty bold. And they says, you go do what I do. Preach, they do it. Heal, do it. Exercise demons. This is what he said to these men. They come back after this little tour and they're kind of skittish and they say, Jesus, um, uh, some of these things didn't work out so well. Why could we not do it? This is apprenticeship, Right? whether you're building a chair, throwing a football, following Jesus. Why couldn't we do it? You know what Jesus said? Let's sit down and talk about it. You need to pray more. Let's talk about prayer. Let's talk about fasting. This one time Jesus, great moment, also when we think about the gospels, uh, the purpose of the gospel. Jesus is talking to a woman he shouldn't be talking to. Great story, John chapter four. Woman at the well, many of you know it. They go off to buy some lunch, on purpose, I think. Jesus enters this conversation. Almost seems like it was appointed. They come back. Their thoughts are recorded. And this is what they say to themselves. And they're good, solid people. They love Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. And they're seeing things that the crowd wouldn't see because they're living with Jesus. There's no one else there except Jesus and them. And they say, he's talking to a woman. She's the wrong ethnicity. She's the wrong background. She's the wrong gender. Jews shouldn't do this. Men were not even should talk to their, their wives in public. Certainly not another woman. It's just the, the, the culture of the day. And they say to Jesus, after she goes away, they don't say a thing. Then they say, Jesus, why were you talking to that woman? They weren't accusing him. They're saying, help me understand why you are even here and why you're talking to a woman that we thought people like us shouldn't talk to. You know what he said? Let's sit down and I'll tell you why. Right? This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You have to be with Jesus. That's why he did it. Now, it says he pointed the 12. And some you know, scholars would say, rightly so, that he, he uses the number 12 instead of thousands, only 12 went up the mountain, because he's the second Moses. He's the new and better Moses. In other words, Moses came down from the mountain and he appointed, uh, gave the new covenant to the 12 tribes of Israel. Exodus chapter 20. Jesus, the author and uh, uh, creator of the new covenant, is reconstituting, relaunching, you might say, the people of God with his 12. I think that's true. But that's not the only reason. It's also saying something, listen very carefully, about discipleship, and you've heard this before. Many are called, but few are chosen. Thousands out there, Idumea, Jerusalem, Judea, other side of the Jordan, Tyre and Sidon, come, bring your tired, your hungry, your lame, your demon-possessed, and they all come to be inspired, to be fed, to be healed. But only 12 go up the mountain. Now, what are you, are you saying, Rob, does that mean that only a few people are going to heaven? No, you've, been, you've misinterpreted that scripture. I have. Many are called, a few and chosen, talking about discipleship. Are there people in the world and in this room who are followers of Jesus are going to wake up in heaven when they die by the almighty sheer grace of God like the thief on the cross? Absolutely, hallelujah. 
But many of those people are not disciples of Jesus Christ. Many are called to follow, to surrender their lives, but few are chosen. Few will demonstrate over time the will to continue, the will to stay focused, the commitment to obey. That's what we're talking about. I don't know how many of you know the name David Brown, but I saw this photograph and I thought, I want to, I, this is it. This is the photograph for this whole series. He's the, uh, the Paralympics uh, champion, runner, gold medal winner, fastest blind man in the world. Okay, But this picture illustrates for me perfectly the core challenge of this series we're beginning this morning. Right, Discipleship, listen carefully, is not simply learning about the life of Jesus. That's important. It starts there, but it's not information only, an intellectual exercise. Discipleship is not simply learning about the life of Jesus. It's learning how to live your life alongside the life of Jesus. Drafting with his strength, his power, and his guidance. That's what discipleship is. Okay, That's what discipleship is. A couple chapters later, Jesus will say these very famous words. You've heard them before. They're discipleship words. Whoever desires to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will save it. Now, you've heard those words before. They're classic discipleship words. But what do they mean? They're not a challenge to decelerate. I used to think this when I was first read those as a Christian. You know, um, whoever wants to save their life in this world will lose it. Right? In other words, if I think life is about you know, mining the best of this world, you know, and go after and get all the gusto out of this life or the things of this world, if you live for the things of this world, you're going to lose it. That much is true, but I also thought it meant whoever wants to lose his life for my sake will find it. Well, that means, listen, what I need to do is just shut the world out, kind of retreat and, and, and keep, my, keep mud off my shoes in a manner of speaking, wait till Jesus comes. Stay unengaged in the things of this world. That's not what this passage says at all. It's not an encouragement to decelerate. It's an encouragement to accelerate, but with Jesus as your guide. Look at that picture again. What does it mean? It means to surrender your vision of your life for his vision for your life. Now, let me say this. Why is there so many Christians and not a lot of disciples? No one does this naturally. It's not easy at first. It takes real commitment, daily practice. And let me say this real quickly. Natural talents are not that important. And that's why I read verses 16 through 18. That's why they're here. Peter, not the sharpest knife in the drawer, denied Jesus. James and John, who had their mother go to bat for them because they were too um, squeamish to ask Jesus for something. Mom, would you go? Okay, uh, Simon the Zealot and Judas, who betrayed me. These people were not chosen because of their natural abilities. Jesus saw potential in them. While he saw potential in you, he said, listen, let me tell you who you are, friends. You're blind people. You're blind. And you can't even get from here to the other side of the street, more or less run a marathon. But if you tether to me, if you're willing to surrender your vision of your life for mine, well, then we can do amazing things. So he chose people, I think, that were probably almost underachievers because 
overachievers, they can't get out of their own way sometimes when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. Okay? He chose them the same way he chose you. The question is, will you choose to be with him? You're called to be with Jesus. Second thing, intimacy with God leads to power with people. Okay? Intimacy with God leads to power with people, particularly God's power. This is successive. It's meant to be. The whole discipleship experience is in one verse. He appointed the 12 that they might be with him. That's the most important thing. Today, tomorrow, for you and me. And if you chose to be with him in a course of commitment, then he'll send you out to share the gospel and have power with people. Okay? Our admission statement, inviting people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus in order to make and mobilize disciples. Just our version of a, what the Bible says. Invite God invites you, me, and me in. Discipleship's an invitation, just like salvation is becoming a Christian is. Then you gotta be made. You're made into a disciple by choosing to spend time with Jesus every day. And then you're called to mobilize. But that mobilization, whether it's your neighbor, your friend, your kids, the lost world, Senegal, unless you spend time with Jesus, you'll have no power with people. And let me say something else about, you know, power with people. People say to me, they've read this passage before, and they say, listen, um, Rob, um, when's the last time you cast out a demon? You know, Jesus says, this is just, this is just one verse. He, does, he says, listen, he called them unto himself, be with me. That's the call of discipleship. You're never going to have the transfer of life until you learn how to be with me. Now, once you learn that over the course of your life, then I'm going to send you out to preach. Oh, he could have said many other things and cast out demons. And you think, well, gee, if that's the thing. I mean, Rob, have you ever cast out a demon? No. Don't raise your hand. Anyone here cast out a demon? You know, Probably not too many. So then what's the point? Let me say something. The gospel, the purpose of the gospel in other verses is to... Loose people from what binds them. The bondage of what binds them. In the first century, even, even Jesus, let me back up in Luke 4 when Jesus came to, he opened up Isaiah chapter 61, the first time he ever gave a sermon kind of thing in his own, and he, he reads Isaiah 61. The Lord has called me, you know, to open the eyes of the blind, the ears of the deaf, to release those who are oppressed, the prisoners. So the, the purpose of the gospel is to release people from what binds them. In the first century, keep this in mind, it's before Jesus Christ ever died on the cross and rose from the dead, okay? What we read in the Gospels. De de uh, um, the devil and demons were rife, spiritual personified evil. Jesus Christ had not come yet and died. And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, in a sense, the devil was given a massive blow. Okay, a massive victory. Is the devil still alive in the world today? Of course he is, but you've heard this metaphor before. It's like they kill the dragon, but his, tags, his tail is still alive. That's, is, is, even though that's simple, that's really a, that's a good analogy. So today, 2,000 years later, is evil alive and well? Are people still bound by sin? Yes, but not as often in the, our day is it demonstrated through demon possession or even physical healing. Okay, modern medicine as we know it, if you know the history of modern medicine, 
I mean, it's about as old as the Civil War. Medical school as we know it is a 20th century phenomenon. People died of the common cold 2,000 years ago. People still die eventually of disease, but it's not like it was 2,000 years ago. Well, then, Rob, what is it? How do we apply this verse? We be with Jesus, and if we stay with him, then he sends us forth to preach the gospel and to release people from what binds them. Let me just give you a list that I came up with. If it's not demon possession and the common cold, how about greed? <laughs> that binds people. How about materialism? How about anger? How about fear? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. What binds them? How about an emptiness that there's no true meaning in life? Okay? That's what we're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. Very quickly, intimacy with God leads to power with people. Just this week, I had a chance to, um, I see these homeless guys, I've told you this story by where I live, had a little ministry with them, and I saw this guy, and I got this moment, right? This, this impulse, John Amayo mentioned last week, you know, so it's, not, it's not a verbal word from God, but it's kind of like, and it just said, um, buy this guy a meal. Now you say, well, don't you do that all the time? I don't. Probably one out of 25 times, I, say, I drive by these guys every day, but I just said, okay, I'm gonna do it. Took me two seconds, bought him a meal, went there, and I opened the door, and I'd seen him before, but he looked different. I said, Jason, I didn't know it was him. And I said, dude, you look great. He had a nice clean haircut, and he had this good look on his face, and he, um, he said, Pastor, I'm so good to see you. And I said, dude, I, I said, are you hungry? And he said, I'm starving. I thought, okay, I, I got it. I listened clearly. I gave it to him, because often they say no. I'm like, I don't want money. I don't want food. I'm stuffed. Give me some money, you know. But he said, I'm starving. And I said, dude, you look great. And he said, listen, look at my pants. And I looked at his pants, and there was kind of pain on him. He goes, I got a job. I work, uh, this guy picks me up here. And he said, oh, not this next week, but the week after that, I got a place. In other words, I'm back on my feet. And I said, isn't that awesome? And then I said to him, I said, listen, he brought up a mutual friend that I know and he knows that I, I met before I met him. I said, how's Steve doing? He goes, listen, he's doing great. He's on his feet. He's a tree cutter, and he works for such and such a company. He's on his feet. I haven't seen him in almost a year. Now, when I walked away from him, this is what I said to myself. I'm, am I, am I the, I'm responsible for that progress report? No. On these two men. But I'm a small part of it. Okay? Intimacy with God leads to power with people. And even though you and I are hand-wringing, not all of us, all that's going on in the world today, it's one bad news after another. Every time I talk to somebody, it's complaining about the coronavirus or, or, or what's going on in the world. You know, in, in the midst of our hand-wringing, God is doing amazing things, even in this church, okay? Far bigger than the story I just told you. You're called to be with Jesus. Intimacy with God leads to power with people. Last point, very quickly. I've already said this. Discipleship is a choice you make every day. So you don't become a Christian every day if you understand your theology. Okay? I was born again when I was a freshman in college. It only happened once. Okay? Put my faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. You know, the thief on the cross. That's the beauty of the gospel. But discipleship is a choice you have to make every day. So very carefully. I, I told you guys I watched the, um, the Chosen series a couple weeks ago. I don't know. Uh, the television streaming thing on the life of Jesus. And I finally caught up. End of season two. So spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear this, how season two ends. The whole episode is based on the, um, the disciples getting ready for the Sermon on the Mount, which at that point is Jesus' first, not first, but his biggest moment up to that point. 
the great sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, the kingdom, the outline of the kingdom. Jesus is ready to give this sermon and his disciples are spending the whole time getting ready. And the scene opens, or the, uh, the um, episode opens with these two guys you've never seen before um, at a tavern kind of a thing, first century tavern. And they're, they're celebrating this land deal that they just made. And you don't know who they are and the older guy's saying, man, drink up, this is great. And the younger guy's having this sort of come to himself moment. And he says, listen, you know, uh, I appreciate that. I'm glad we sold this land. But he said, you know, in so many words, you know, there's got to be more to life than this. I want to live for something more. And I don't really care about this money. I don't care about this work. There's, and he even quotes a verse from the Old Testament, which is their Bible. They're Jewish guys. That's the end of that scene. Mid- middle, of this, middle of the episode, these same guys are at that same restaurant tavern. But now next to them is a, is a group of people, including two of the disciples of Jesus. And what they're doing there is having a conversation and a meal. They're trying to broker a land, you know, rent the land for the Sermon on the Mount. And they're having trouble. You know, this is a drama, okay? But they're having trouble trying to get it, and the guy's saying, no, no, and I don't want all that trash on my lawn or whatever, you know? And so this guy, this young guy that you met at the beginning of the episode, you don't know who he is. He says, hey, the guy who wanted to live for something more. He says, I'm a land guy in so many words. He brokers a deal, they're done, right? Like a friend now. Fast forward to the end of the episode. The end of the episode, spoiler alert, the end of the episode, they're, 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 all these people are coming from everywhere. Thousands of people. It's the Sermon on the Mount. There's this little makeshift stage of wood and a little curtain-y thing, you know, of fabric. And it's just, you know, Jesus, get, Jesus doesn't even open his mouth before the episode ends. But as it's just about to go, it's, you know, two minutes left in the episode, this guy, the young guy who brokered the deal, they see him wandering up. And the disciples who were kind of like behind the curtain, they go, Hey! Get over here. What are you doing here? He goes, well, I just wanted to hear the master teach. Isn't that great? They want to hear the master teach. And he says, well, listen, come on. They're so grateful because he helped them get the land. He says, come on, bring them on over. And he said, well, come on back here with us. You can sit with us. And then he starts introducing him. This is so-and-so. This is so-and-so. James and John and Peter. And he says, by the way, what's your name? We never got your name. And he said, I'm Judas Iscariot. Nice to meet you. And you're supposed to have this moment. The 12 disciples are finished, just like this moment. But let me say something about you and me. Discipleship is a choice you make every day. You and I make mis- this mistake all the time in reading the Bible. We, we look at it from, from our vantage point because it says Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And we think, well, we've branded Judas the sort of devil of the 12, the bad apple from day one. That's not how it happened. And what we think to our, this was written years after this happened. Now the writer's telling you Judas, by the way, just like Peter got his name, Simon was changed to Peter, and James and John got this name called the Sons of Thunder. And, and you know, the writer's trying to help you understand something like a book, summarize things for you. And Judas, by the way, is the one who betrayed Jesus. And so we, what we think in our minds sometimes is, well, listen, Jesus chose Judas. Check your math on this. Jesus chose Judas because Jesus wanted to fulfill an Old Testament prophecy that said one of these guys is going to fall off the wagon. He's the bad apple, Psalm such and such. So 11 of these guys are good. There's one bad apple, wink, wink. He's going to be the one that, that you know, gets and deals with Satan. And we throw him in there, and that's what we think. That Jesus chose him to fulfill a prophecy, but I think not. Because if that's true, then you'd have, your logic would have to carry over and say, well, then Jesus only chose Peter to fulfill the prophecy he gave about him. Remember that one? Before the rooster crows, you know, you're going to deny me three times. That's the only reason he chose Peter. Well, I don't think that's true either. The point is this. 
These people were chosen to go up on the mountain. Many are called, but few are chosen because at this moment, they were all imperfect people just like you and me, but they all had the potential. They all showed the desire. That's why I like this drama. It's not all you know, line for line in the Bible, but they're saying, when you meet this guy, he's not the devil incarnate. The Satan doesn't come into, into Judas until the Last Supper. Judas is just like you and just like me. He says, listen, I love what this guy has to say. Let's take the hill. I want my life to count for something. But here's what happened. Judas woke up one day. It was probably three years after Mark chapter 3. And he woke up one day and he decided this. That where Jesus was leading his life was no longer where he wanted to go. Jesus was headed not to Revolutionary Hill. Many say Judas was a zealot like Simon. In other words, he was, a, he was a freedom fighter. He thought Jesus, he said, Jesus, I like you as long as you're going to go in the direction I want you to go and get Rome off my back. And when Jesus finally said, listen, friends, I'm not heading there. I'm heading to Calvary instead. Okay? Judas said, then I don't want to follow you anymore. Okay? Discipleship, following Jesus, is a choice you make every day. Where we're headed from here is habits, okay? What do I mean by habits? Habits, not only bad, we all have bad habits, not only bad habits in my life, you know, I, I, I do this, I do that, but bad habits in our walk with God. But let me say this about your bad habits. They're not laws like gravity. They can be broken if they're replaced by good, grace-filled habits, which is what we're gonna talk about the next four days. Let me show you just a quick screen of where we're headed for the next four weeks, okay? Spending time with God, spending time with others, knowing, knowing using your gifts, and sharing your faith. This is it, guys. They're not new ideas to you, but the question is, are you living and breathing these? What do these habits do for you? Chapter uh, 3, verse 14. They help you spend time with Jesus. They make room for your life, more room in your life for God, so that he can be your leader, he can be your guide, so that you can tether to him and run in ways that you haven't run before. Amen? Let's pray. God and Father, we thank you for this time, this day, this morning. We love you. And I pray for all of us in this room. I pray for all of us in this church, wherever we're listening to this message today, Lord, that you would get a hold of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to see what you see. Help us, Lord, to surrender our small ambitions, our fears and anxieties to the king of the universe, to the Lord of uh, the world, to my Lord, my God, my Savior. Help us, Lord, to be willing to surrender our vision of life for yours, that we might commit ourselves, Lord, to um, turning off this, that, and the other thing and turning on time with Jesus that we might become men and women, young and old, boys and girls, who are truly disciples of Jesus. Fill little Christs released into this community and in this world to become the kinds of men and women that you want us to be carriers of the kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.